You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. Hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, What a great day already, right? Worship and uh, come to new life in Christ. Honestly, we could probably just, that'd be enough for today. But we're going to dive into God's Word because there is something new for us every morning. We look at that and we understand and learn what God is wanting to teach us through this. Last week we talked about um, if anyone had a memory verse. It was in our sermon. Did anyone get a chance to memorize a new verse of Scripture this week? I'm not going to put you on the spot, but yeah, if, if we get a chance and an opportunity to learn and memorize God's Word, that's what I want you to walk away with. Um, there's a lot of places where we can get confused. It's not about my words, it's about God's Word. So we're going to read a lot of God's Word today. And to, to get us into our Heroes of the Faith series as we continue, uh, we spent, what was it, four weeks on Daniel. We're not talking about Daniel today. <laughs> Yay, new story! We're going to go... Uh, to the book of First Kings. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. First Kings chapter 16. And we're going to set a little bit of a tone here. And we're going to talk about a guy named Elijah. And in a short bit, I'm going to need a volunteer. You can come on up here if you're comfortable with that. I'm going to need a volunteer, someone who is not at our leadership meeting on Wednesday. Um, we'll, we'll get there. So uh, some optional hands. I'm going to call on you. Just be ready. Be thinking about, am I ready Am I ready to, for my big moment? First Kings chapter 16. And again, I will unapologetically read from the Word of God. We're going to hopefully follow along with me online or in person. Pull out the Bible. It's the, in the chair, little basket there in front of you if you don't have one or if you uh, turn it on the app. First Kings chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 21. And the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half the people followed Tibni, the son of Jinnath, to make him king, and half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri overcame the people who followed Tibni, the son of Jibnath. So Tibni died, and Omri became king. Now, why is this even important? Well, we need to understand, first of all, in context, what we're talking about today is that this kingdom is broken. It is fractured. There are warring tribes. You can call these people Republican or Democrat. You can call these people anti-mask or pro-mask, pro-life, pro-choice. You can, you can fill whatever blank you want in there and, and may, you know, in that context, feel really true for us today. You're like, okay, I can kind of get it. Our country maybe feels a little bit divided, doesn't it? You know, we're not up here to talk politics, but this is our context. We're supposed to be the United States of America, and united we are not right now. Not in faith, not in practice, not belief, not in action. And so we can maybe relate a little bit more understanding the context of, of what Elijah is going to be going through today, knowing that this is not some old 2,000, 5,000 year old story that doesn't apply. It very much applies today. And so they have a guy who is named Omri, and Omri becomes king. We're going to skip ahead to verse 25. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and you know what, and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam and the son of Nebat and, and the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. And so what he's saying is like, he's, he's an Israelite, but he's not worshiping God. 
the people of God and is the king of the people of God, he should know better. But the people are going along with this and he's an evil guy doing evil things, worshiping other gods. And no one is there to stand in the gap and call him on this. And in, in doing so, he's now more evil than all the kings who came before him. And if you want to know that list, just read 1 Kings chapters 1 through 15. It's not a, it's not a great who's who of the Bible, let's put it that way. A lot of evil kings who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they say, he's even worse than all those guys. And now the rest of the acts of honor that he did and the might when he showed, aren't they written in chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Omri slept with his fathers, that means he died, and was buried in, if you're following along, where? Samaria. Israelite king not buried in Israel. Take a second to think about that for a second. His allegiance wasn't to God or his people, as these other false gods and their people. And Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. Now, what do you think Ahab learned from his father? Was it good or was it evil? It's a free to answer question. Was it good or was it evil? He learned evil because his father did evil. Not necessarily because his father was evil, he did evil. And so the child pays attention to that, grows up. What do you think the son's going to be like? He's going to be like the father. That's exactly what happens. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did what? No surprise now. Did evil. In the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. Now he trumps his own father in evilness. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, as like, it's not, if that's not enough that he's going to worship other gods other than God, if that's not enough that he's going to you know, build idols and all this other kind of stuff, if that's not enough for him to do evil in the sight of the Lord much more than his father did, look at what happens next. He took for his wife... Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, and if you see that root of that word Baal, right there, B-A-L, that's, a, that's a, another god, not our god, little g, evil god, stone rock idol, false god, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He marries a priestess and daughter of people who worship Baal. As if it's not enough, he brings her into the kingdom and all of her people come with her. And more than that, he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. So now he builds a false god, his own temple, and builds a little false god in that false temple. It's a real temple, false god. And Ahab made an Asherah. Now that's a female goddess. Now, if you want to understand where we're going later in this story, Baal was believed to have been, by the Sumerians and other peoples, gods of rain, and thunder, and lightning, and water, dew, moisture, all that kind of stuff. Supposed to be god of rain. This is important. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And in his days, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. 
If you're familiar with the story, that should have been a no-no. Jericho was supposed to be raised to the ground and, and never be built upon again. They said, whoever does this is going to break a, a promise and bad things will happen to you. And well, he's like, I want to rebuild Jericho, this guy. Heel of Bethel wanted to build Jericho, and he laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up his gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord. So those promises came true hundreds and hundreds of years later. Hey, don't rebuild Jericho. So well, that's not our story for today. It's a story for another time, but now going into chapter 17. Now, Elijah the Tishbite, and this is the first time we hear of him in the Old Testament. Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, so he goes to the king. We need to understand now who we're dealing with. We're dealing with Ahab the king, son of an evil king. And this son of the evil king married this Jezebel, which you may have heard this name before in the Old Testament, married Jezebel, so evil, 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 false gods, false gods, false gods. And Elijah goes to this king. It's like, no one's standing up to this. i, I got to do something. He said, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my words. This is a word of God he gives to Ahab. And this word is that there's going to be no rain. Now, why is that interesting that there's a drought with no rain? What did Ahab just do? He built a temple to honor a false god in charge of what? Rain. So he builds a temple to honor a false god in charge of rain, and God's like, a whole bunch of nope. This is not good. The people need to understand. So Elijah, go tell King Ahab, there's going to be a drought, and you better prepare. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here. In other words, you told King Ahab what you needed to. Go eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And in the middle of this drought, you shall drink. Keep that in mind. You shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. That's pretty cool. Like, that's much better than, it's like Uber eats. Okay, yes, no, just make sure you're tracking with me, okay? So Uber eats, brings him food twice a day, that's pretty handy. Sorry, my brain's now off on a tangent of possible bird analogies with food delivery companies. So he gets food, and he drank from the brook in the middle of this drought. Elijah's provided for. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain, in the land. Now we're going to skip a chunk here just for the sake of time today. But between verse 8 and the end of this chapter, some pretty cool things happen. First of all, it's the first resurrection ever mentioned in the Bible someone who is dead coming back to life. And we see this widow who has nothing. She's about to poison herself and her son because there's nothing left to eat and they don't want to just starve to death. And she has a little handful of flour left. And she's like, this is all we have left. And Elijah's like, hey, um, bake me a cake. Like with this? Yeah, with that. Go bake me a cake, please. Now, does that sound logical? No. She bakes him a cake. And then she goes and, oh, there's more flour. Oh, there's more water. And they are provided for. And her son gets sick. He passes. And she's like, you did this. He's like, no, I didn't. But to prove who God is, I'll show you what. Boom. 
kid back from the dead. Pretty cool. You can read that later. We're going to skip ahead to chapter 18 because we're talking about Elijah and Baal. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So this has gone on for three years now. Just as long as God said it would be. Everybody thirsty. Everybody tired. Everybody hungry. Saying, go show yourself to Ahab. And I will send rain upon the earth. Baal's going to send rain? No. God's going to send rain on the earth. So, Elijah's going to go introduce himself again to King Ahab. Like, hey, remember me? I'm that guy from a few years ago who told you it was going to get dry because you're dishonoring God. So we're going to now skip ahead. All the cool things happen. To verse 17. And here's the bulk of our scripture for today. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, you know, it's you? You're the guy? You're the troublemaker of Israel? And he sounds like, no, I haven't troubled Israel. You have. You have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord, and you follow the Baals. You're not honoring God, you're following this other false God. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me. Bring everybody. We're going to put on a, a show that you are not going to believe. You've got to see it in person. So meet me at Mount Carmel, and you know what? Bring the 450 prophets of Baal, and, you know, and, and bring the 400 prophets of Asherah, that other fake goddess, who eat at your wife's table, Jezebel. All these people who don't worship God, you've invited them to the kingdom of Israel. You know what? Bring all your friends. There's going to be a thousand of you and one of me, and I'm good with those odds because I have God. That's what Elijah's saying. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel, and they gathered prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long are you going to go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And this is such an important question for us today. And Elijah asked this thousands and thousands of years ago. And we have to answer thousands and thousands of years in the future. Who are you going to answer to? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. I'm going to be pretty bold. Is America God? No. Is the guy with the big wavy orange hair who is president of this country, is he God? No. Is the guy who's running against him who can't illustrate a sentence, is he God? No. Is your job God? Is your family God? Now these are generic answers, but we, it's worth pausing and thinking about it because if we're honest with ourselves, many of us may say we're Christian, but there's a different God who controls our worship. And these odds might feel like a thousand to one. But church, you and your faith, personally, you're called to be that one. And we've read about that for four weeks in Daniel. 
where we, we read about Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. He said, you can do what you want to do. I'm not going to do that thing regardless if it's a diet. It might not seem like a, bit, like a big deal. It might seem harmless. But I'm not going to eat that way. I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to talk that way. Oh, you can't pray. Watch me pray. Bring it on. And I'm going to do that thing. You know what? And this is what Elijah's doing. He's like, bring, bring everybody. You're going to want to see this because God's going to show up. And you and I are called to be that one. To stand in the gap and say, no, we're going to do life right. No, we're going to live better. No, we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to live the gospel. In a sea of Christianity where they're comfortable just being comfortable. What I do know is that at this moment, Elijah doesn't know how everything's going to really work out. This is a huge faith moment for him. Because he's gathered every... He's gathered everybody there, putting all his eggs in one basket, saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. God better show up. But already he's making fun of the people limping around, dancing for Baal. So how long do you go limping between two opinions? This word here is the same word used later for dancing, that the people did not answer him a word. Verse 22, so Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left. I'm the only guy. You all are Israelites. Some of you are Hebrews and you've forgotten the ways of your fathers. You've forgotten the God who brought you out of Egypt and all the things that He's done before. Remember those things. And you're dishonoring Him now. I'm the only guy who's left. And Baal's prophets are 450 men. And Asherah and her prophets, they had 400 more. So again, it's almost a thousand to one. So he's like, you know what? We got a contest. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves. They can have first pick of whatever bull for whatever reason. And cut it into pieces. Bad news for the bull. And lay it on the wood. But don't put any fire under it yet. We're going to build an altar. Two different altars. And I'm going to prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. And all the people are like, that sounds good. That sounds good. We're going to call on Baal. You call on your God. And we'll see who shows up. Two bulls, two altars. Let's go. Ding! The microphone comes down from this thing. And let's, we're ready to rumble. And so here's what's going on. Rumble. Okay, anyway. So, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, for you are many. You can do this in a long time. And call upon the name of your God and put no fire to him. They took the bowl and it was given to him. They prepared it and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. Saying, oh Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar. Another, your version may say dance. I like this limp version. Because Elijah's getting ready to troll him big time. And they're limping around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, You know what? Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's, maybe he's out to lunch. Cry aloud, for he's a God. You know, either he is musing or he's relieving himself. You know what? Maybe your God's taking a leak. This is scriptural. Like, I'm not making this up. This is what the beauty of the Bible is. We, we often just breeze past this. Like, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. You know, maybe he ate too many wings last night. He's not feeling good. He's in, you know. Or maybe he's on a journey. Maybe put a little clock up in the cloud and say, I will return at, you know, his little clock. He's like, ah, oh, it's not there. Or perhaps he's asleep. And if you cry louder, maybe he'll wake up. 
And so they cried aloud. And they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed upon them. So what they were doing is they were adding their own blood to the altar. Now, for the Israelites, this is a huge no-no. Like, you didn't cut yourself and you didn't add your blood to any offer or any sacrifice or any altar because your blood couldn't cover anything. This is why it's so important what Jesus' blood has done for us. It's not our blood. It's not our sacrifice. We don't add anything to the sacrifice that gives us justification or sanctification. There's nothing we could do, nothing we could add to who God is to make us holy or make us worthy. We're not. But the priest of Baal said, we're going to add our own blood. Maybe there's not enough blood. Maybe he wants more blood. I got blood. My son had to um, get a little blood test a couple weeks ago. Um, just normal little, you know, pediatric-y things. So he just sat there. He was, he was awesome for it. Just sat there, didn't even flinch. So the lady thing is, she's like you're, like, you're better than most of the adults I've had today. He just sat there and watched it. And she walked away. So later in the afternoon, my wife told me, he, he was sitting there eating um, a snack or something. And he's like, Mommy, where's my blood? I think he thought, like, she took it all, (laughs) you know, as a three-year-old, and it's awesome little, you know, naivety, just, where's, mommy, where's my blood? Uh, Well, the lady took it. Is she going to bring it back? No, no, it's just, it's just gone. You can see his little brain working and just processing. Okay. So blood gushed out, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered, and no one even paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Hey, guess what? Come here. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been thrown down. Now, here it's important to note that Elijah doesn't build a new altar to a false god. He rebuilds the altar that was torn down. Something that had existed to praise God, he puts back together. And he took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with these stones he built the altar. He said, I know you've fallen away. I know you're the people of Israel. I know you don't understand. I know you're worshiping another God, but I'm going to put a stone in this altar for you. As a representation for you, this is who you should be worshiping. Not this other thing. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. So it's like a three-yard ditch. He made all the way around this stone altar. And he put wood in order, and he cut the bowl in pieces, and he laid it on top of the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And you know what their answer could have been? Elijah, you idiot, there's a drought We're still in this story. What do you mean bring a lot of water and and pour it on this altar? We're short on water, and you want to take water that we could desperately use for other things? You want to pour it on this altar? Furthermore, you said you're going to light this altar on fire, and water and fire don't mix. Like one cancels out the other. Just ask California. It's not good out there. It's really bad, actually. It's not enough water to put out some of the fires. One's used to cancel out the others. They're like, why are you putting water, good water, needed water, on an altar? Fill four jars of water and pour it on the burnt offering, on the wood. Cool, good. You know what? Do it again. 
What? More water? Yeah, four more jars. More water. More water. Pour it on. And he washed him. <laughs> cool, that's good. No, not wet enough. Do it again. More water. The, yeah, I've been lots of water. Much water in there. I soaked this altar. And this trench around pretty much became a little moat around the castle. You think about it that way. It was that just lots and lots of water poured over this three times. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. Now, I don't know about you. I'm no rocket scientist. Sometimes I feel like Forrest Gump. I'm not a smart man. I know what love is. And we know that something soaked wet in water isn't just going to catch fire. This is simple, right? At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, notice he's not screaming. He's not wailing. He's not dancing. He's not cutting himself. He came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant. And I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. They need to see who you are because they've forgotten. And then the fire of the Lord fell. I don't know what that means to you. But I get this crazy picture of almost like meteorite light coming down from the skies. And even if you are trying to defend this with science or logic, you say, well, it could have been a meteor shower. Yeah, but it came down on this 12 square foot place. Exactly. Like, that's not chance. Like, you can't make that stuff up. That's God being God. And the fire of the Lord came down from heaven. And it consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water. It could be so hot, just evaporated the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. That doesn't sound nice. No, it's not. They chose the wrong God. Where am I volunteer at? Cadence, you are quick with the hands. Last week you were quick with the mouth with your memory verse. I appreciate both of those. Come on up. Hi. Do me a favor. You're going to stand right here. We're going to put a non-brand specific clear cup here. There's a clear cup. See? Nothing empty. All right? Clear cup. You see this cup? Okay. Normal cup. Nothing wrong with this cup. Seems to be fine. It's not like there's anything in it. There's nothing in it right now. That's right. Are you thirsty? Ooh, look at this. Ooh, it's cold. Refreshing. Has this been opened before? It does not look like it. You are correct. Zephyr Hills, 1964. 100% natural Florida spring water. Delicious. We're going to open this water. 
You don't have to. I'm just, it was just a question. I'm going to pour it in the cup. Would you drink this? Why? Why would you drink this? Because it's water. Because it's water. And you need water to live. Nothing wrong with this water. Would you all drink this water? And nothing wrong with it. 100% Florida's natural spring water. Looks amazing. Even the cup says that first sip feeling. Looks fantastic. We have no issues with this, right? We have here. Okay, this is good. We know what this is. It's a bleach. It's a, it's a cleaning agent, right? Stage is obstacle course today. Okay, so we've um, we just add a little bit. It's still mostly water. You want you want to drink this? No, thank you. What? Why? You don't drink, but it's mostly still water. It's content. Would y'all drink this? No. Unanimous no takers. It's not that much bleach. Like, we only put a little bit in there. It, it's still clear, mostly. Right? But that, it's not that dirty. You probably drank dirtier water if you're real with yourself, right? Yeah? No? No takers? No one wants to drink this? Here, I, I, know, you, I know you got your mask on. Can you smell that? Like, bleach permeates things, right? Can you all smell this up here? No, most of you can't. So you would not drink this. Thank you. That's all we needed. Fantastic job. Would you like the rest of the water? Would you like the rest of the water? Unopened, you're thirsty. There you go, you've earned that. Thank you. So it was water Sunday. We had a baptism. We're talking in the book of Elijah. Baal was supposed to be the god of what? Moisture, rain, water, all that kind of stuff. Now, first glance, it's probably not that bad. Like, it's just another god. It's not God, but we can, people can worship him. That's fine, right? It's not a big deal, not a problem. I mean, as long as I don't worship him, they can, sure. All right. Right? Maybe it was in their laws at the time. Like, you know what? That's actually okay, you can do that freedom of religion and speech and all that other fun stuff. Cool. See, a little bit can go a long way. And none of us in our right mind would drink this cup of water because it's now been contaminated. Bleach, even something used to clean. And many other circumstances are like, hey, that place is much cleaner now because we used bleach on it, right? Kills 98 point or 99.98 something percent of all germs, right? So if it kills 98.98% of all germs, why wouldn't adding it to this water make the water more healthy? It kills 99.98% of all germs. Now this is like 100% germ-free water. You still don't want to drink it? What's that? It also kills you. Yes. Yes, it does. Y'all, it is so important for us to be living out the gospel. To stand in the gap and the gaps in our lives and our families' lives and our friends' lives to say, you know what? You might look good from a distance, but the closer I get, 
that'll kill somebody. We are called to preach gospel truth. And it might seem like our lives are put together, but if there's just a little bit of something that the world could say, that's not that bad. Or this is actually used as a help in other things, but you put that in us. We talked about that with Daniel. It's just other diets. No, I'm not going to eat that. It's just not praying three times a day. No, I'm not going to do that. It's just not, just bow down and worship that little gold idol and, and everything will be fine. Just do it. Nike was there. Just do it. And the heroes we're talking about in the faith all have this thing like, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to waver. And even if my story doesn't end the way I would prefer, I'm not going to give up worshiping God at any cost, at any time. How many of us today would like even just a few mentions of our own personal story or our life in a book like this thousands of years from now? How cool would that be? Right? To have generations and generations later to look back and say, hey, gosh, that Jason Snitkoff, man, what a guy. Let me tell you about what he did. Let me tell you about what God did in his life. Oh, wow, so cool. I had Olivia. Whew. What a young woman. Well, I mean, if this is thousands of years later, we're all dead, right? Hopefully an attorney, sure. Um, but let's read, let's, how cool would that be? And the only we, reason we're reading about these heroes of the faith is because they took a stand, all of them took a stand to say, hey, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to waver. And you can drink bleach if you want to, but I know it's going to kill you. Because I'm called to live a better life than that, a cleaner life than that, a clearer life than that. There is a cost. And the prophets of Baal found out that cost. What is it? It was death. And the same thing is true for us today. The same offers on the table. I want to reference it because Rachel read it this morning in our, in our planning. And it's exactly what we were talking about. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 through 9. He's talking to Paul's writing a letter to the church in Galatia. He's like, you were running well. You were living the faith. You were doing things well. You were praying. You were sharing the gospel. But that's a has been, not a is. You were doing things well. Not anymore. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Like, who got in your way? Well, is it Baal? Is it, is it a Jezebel? Is it a different God? A different job? A different offer? A different distraction? A different relationship? What's distracting you from worship of God and, and call of God on your life? What is it getting in the way? You were doing a good job, but now you're not. And this persuasion is, is not from Him who calls you. It's not God. It's not holy. It's going to kill you. And it might seem clean, but it's not. This is why we have to be so close to the Word of God because so many pastors, they're, they're going to put a little quote with themselves on a Facebook page tweeting, you know, Pastor so-and-so said this. And they're like, you've seen those on the social media and stuff? The pastor, he's getting his name out there. I, man, just quote the Bible, don't quote me. This isn't about my words getting out there. This is about God's word getting out there. And God's word being used and lived out in our life. 
But Paul's calling this out. This persuasion is from him, not from him who calls you. It's not God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if you are a baker, you understand what that means. A little bit of yeast eventually finds its way through the whole dough. And if you want unleavened bread, that's bad. This might seem clean. It's bleach water. But we can't consume it. Because if it comes into our lives, it's going to kill us. We have to take a stand. And I just want you walking out of here with one question in your brain. And I want it to permeate every area of your life this week. I want you to think about it when you get up and before you go to bed. I want you evaluating this answer with your friends and with your family around the dinner table in the car. I don't care. Because this question needs to be answered in our lives. And it's this question that Elijah asked. He said, if the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. Who's God in your life? Who is God in your life? And the people did not answer Him a word. You know, throughout history, there's a lot of times where Christians are just put out and put down. And I I think like in the back of our brains, we think we have to just be quiet and take it. We don't. There's a time to speak out. And we don't speak out by getting political. That's a different God. We don't speak out by hopping on a bandwagon of this or that agenda or this or that movement or this thing or that thing painted on this city's. If we're going to speak out, it should be for the gospel. And that alone. Because if we speak out for or against anything else that does not give God the glory, we're speaking about about the wrong things. We just read a couple weeks ago about King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, after all, he had been humbled and brought back at the end of his reign and crazy man for years and then finally came back after his ego and pride had been humbled to him before God. He said, God gives kingdoms to whom he will and puts in reign and in charge who he wishes. It's all up to God anyway. I don't care who gets elected. I don't care what movement or whatever, blah, blah, blah. If we're called to worship God, those things are going to be byproducts of a Christ-following people. And there is a gap today between people who used to know God, like we're that tribe of Israel, who used to be one nation under God until, you know, they took it out of the pledge a couple weeks ago, the DNC. We used to be one nation under God. We were formed with Christian principles out of the basis in the search and the hope for religious freedom. We're that tribe of Israel who has fallen away from God. So what does that mean for us today? We need to be a modern day Elijah. To stand in the gap and say, look, I don't care who's elected, but God. And I don't care what movement's important, but God. Because that's the only thing that eternally matters. And as good or as bad as movements can be, Black Lives Matter won't get you into heaven. Pro-life won't get you into heaven versus abortion or whatever. Pick a movement. 
leaving your Netflix account over cuties isn't going to get you into heaven. If you know what I'm talking about, if you don't, God bless you. Are those things healthy? Sure, yeah, there's standards, but what if we spoke the gospel? What if we said, I'm praying for you? Do you know Jesus? What if we were so blunt with that question, like we were annoying people in a good way? Because that's the only question that ultimately matters. Not how's your life, not how's your finances, not what are you doing next weekend, not what do you think about college football this season, silly. Not are you pro-life or pro-Biden or pro-Trump or pro-choice or pro-anything else. Are you for God or not? Do you know Jesus or not? I, I hear you. Do you know God or not? You do? Do you know God or not? And when we ask this question, it forces the Baal equation. And in a situation where fire and water wouldn't usually mix, it's interesting to note that both fire and water are used to clean, aren't they not? Heat fire cleans off the impurities in metals. And a lot of places after a forest fire are, are healthier in the wood life. You know, they're, no, they're a normal part of things. They cycle through and, and the fire cleans out some things and a new life can come again. And water is used as a cleaning or a purifying agent. We did it already this morning as a symbol in baptism. But also, if, like, if you spill something, what do you go? You probably get, you put a little water on it, right? And, and moms come naturally equipped for this task. You know, like if you get a little bit of something on your face, the first thing mom does is, you know, like the thing, I'll just smudge it off. I'm going to use a little bit of water as a cleaning agent. You're like, mom, stop. Water and fire are both cleansers. God's like, you know, making a bold statement through this story and lie. Say, you know what? These I, double clean, double purified. And if you didn't know who God was, you do now. And God is here. God is present in our day and age. And I believe that the fire is coming down in a different way than it did in the story of Elijah. It's dwelling within us. The Holy Spirit says tongues of fire rested on the apostles in Acts chapter 2. They were able to speak and proclaim. We sang that song earlier. Not by might, not by power, but by your Spirit, God. And what are we asking with a song like that? God, use us. And I think so often we come here on a Sunday morning thinking that, oh, I have to go there. I'm going to find God's presence there. Yeah, but God, when you leave here, you don't leave God's presence. You take God's presence with you. Are you on fire in here but not out there? Then that's a spiritual problem. And I think God is calling us to be on fire at all times. And ask the only question that really matters. Do you know God?